Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian. I'm Caddy Diop. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. Uh, this week we read With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Holy moly, what a book. Um, it's the story of Imani, a high school senior who is uh, uh, really passionate and skilled, like God-given talent uh, for cooking. Uh, she's a teen mom, and uh, we follow her through her school year, uh, her final school year of high school. And it is... A tremendous book. It takes us through her personal story, her story through dating, uh, through taking a culinary arts class, and also introduces us to some really interesting characters from Puerto Rico, from uh, Newark. Yeah. One of them's from New Jersey. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Spain. Takes us to Spain. Yeah. This book is awesome. Let's just start this off by saying it's it's a tremendous book. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to start this episode off by saying thank you caddy for finding this book and suggesting that we read it it's fairly new it came out this spring it's wonderful i believe elizabeth acevedo is a poet and i think this is her first novel um Mm -hmm. i might have that wrong but i think uh you really see the like thumbprint of a poet in this book for sure it's so well written oh my goodness just it transports you so the book opens on just introducing us to Imani, this lovely character who's a 16-year-old mom, 16, 17-year-old mom of like a Mm two-year-old. She loves to cook. There's something really pleasant and delightful and light about these moments that this character is in the kitchen and she just lets herself be inspired by what she's feeling, what she sees. And there's these very intriguing, like just very pleasant sensory descriptions Mm -hmm. happening. You know, it's a character who makes people cry with food. As a foodie, Mm -hmm. this is an important Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) I loved the the little element of her... There's almost a magical realism element to her cooking. When she cooks things for people, they feel her feelings. That reminded me of a book I read. It's not a young adult book, but I read this uh, years ago called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake, which is a beautiful beautiful book about a girl who develops the power to taste feelings in food and it you know is really interesting because she like discovers her mother is unhappy and things like that but I liked that there was just this tiny little nod at magical realism in it this tiny little nod of like her ability is transportive beyond even just being a really good cook. There is something magical to what she can do. Ah, Latinx ladies. They are badass. It's true. Reading this, I got some a couple little moments. Obviously, my culture is um, less refined, so it reminded me of Jane the Virgin. Uh, <laughs> no, I can see that, though. I didn't have that connection, but I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying I... I think Gina Rodriguez could play like the ant or something in this movie uh, when it gets made not mm-hmm. if when it gets made producers out there please yeah, hear absolutely. us please turn this into a movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um should we talk about Imani and just how amazing she is yes let's beautiful yeah so Imani is the parent to baby girl mm-hmm. 
And I think that this book talks about parenthood in such an interesting way. Yeah, this is like, for me, this was the the highlight of this book was the way it deals with parenting from so many different angles on so many different levels, um, deals with kind of multi-generational parenting and family raising. It's just uh, spectacular. I mean, I, I related to Imani more than I usually relate to YA characters because I am also a mom and and I just felt her so deeply on that level in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they portrayed her as such a, as a grounded, well anchored mom, Mm -hmm. right? She's a young woman who got, she gets pregnant uh, her freshman year, uh, falls for this guy, Tyrone. And while they're not together anymore, right? They Mm -hmm. still have a very cordial, co-parenting situations set up mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because I love that she's she does so much for her daughter but at no point is it you know self-flagellating like oh I shouldn't have oh poor me oh this or that she owns her choice mm-hmm. and so does Tyrone mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Which I think is awesome because mm-hmm. oftentimes, let's be honest, uh, you know, there's a teenage boy involved in a child being born. He's going to be depicted a bit as a scum bucket. Um, and this one steps it up. I think we see an element of scum bucket in Tyrone. Of but course. then you think about the fact that he's 15, 16, and his parents seem much less supportive of him being a parent than. Amani's parents or Amani's grandmother does but he does step it up and you do see that growth and you see that difference between a 15 year old and an 18 year old I think Tyrone's like development is really really strong in the book because at the end he's finally what I love is at the end he's finally um, really acknowledging and respecting Imani as the primary parent yes. of the child. He's really honoring the work she has done. I love that he asks to provide parental support, like he hasn't been paying child support. And he he's like, well, I have a job and I would love to do this if you're okay with it. There's just so much respect there mm-hmm. in, in the request he makes. Um, even though he still has his moments of, you know, he gets very possessive about Amani dating. And he really has this double standard where he's dating and Amani hardly ever does. And he sort of still feels like he has this right to say, well, you can't date. But like a lot of this book, it challenges the status quo in a very palatable way. Mm-hmm. Right. I find that this could have been very much of a like, he's a dirt bag, throw him out. Yeah. Um, but they gave him layers, yeah. which side characters don't always get. Yeah. He still has a presence, mm-hmm. even though he's not constantly there. And there's there's a bit of resentment, but there's not. It's The book isn't about resentment. No, and I yeah. think that that resentment over parenthood, resentment, like it's just lovely. I loved that when he was requesting more time with Emma or baby girl, um, it really came from a place of him saying, I miss her. It wasn't about like, I have this right or like you know any of the angles his parents had taken at various points it was just I love being with her I think I've earned a full weekend Mm -hmm. and I miss her so much when she's not there and that for me like that that really spoke to me it's so good yeah Emani's journey of like figuring out co-parenting also really spoke to me because I I am somebody who co-parents yeah uh, with someone who is not my partner and um I just, I felt that tension. There's this particular tension of having shared custody of your kid. 
and I actually have 50% custody right now so it's not like a weekend every two weeks but there's this tension of like during the week when you're tired and you know you've just dealt with a tantrum or whatever you're thinking like okay I'm gonna have that night off or I'm gonna have that day where I can rest and then that day comes and you're just you just miss your kid yeah and um I think Elizabeth Acevedo wrote that so well you know I felt that tension of just kind of like I need a break from her when she's here and then I miss her so much when she's not here yeah I found that the first uh depiction of the moment where Tyrone comes to pick up Emma um and it's both uh Imani and her abuela Mm -hmm. who are there and it's all in the tension and in the way that they hold on to one another it's just it's very it's very subtle but Mm -hmm. it is for as someone who doesn't have kids I can relate to that feeling yeah I understand that feeling yeah and it was um very elegantly portrayed yeah similarly there's the moment when Amani comes back from Spain and Amani sees baby girl and starts crying because she missed her so much and abuela sees Imani and starts crying because she missed her so much and that just that mirroring of the relationships I get shivers when I talk about it absolutely um it was so beautiful the parenting in this book is delightful I mean abuela is a great parent she steps up uh you know Imani's mom passes away when I think like in childbirth childbirth, right Mm -hmm. and uh her dad just can't deal yeah. He can't he can't handle like it's just so much trauma for uh Julio, her dad. And he ships back to Puerto Rico and leaves Imani, baby Imani, with his mother, Abuela. And just the there's a lovely symbiotic, but at the same time not codependent mm-hmm. relationship. Which I find that when there's like a parent that someone really depends on and things like that, it often gets represented very much as this like, without this parent, I cannot live. But Abuela raises like a young woman who is confident and who is able to make her decisions. And she's also able to put her foot down and say, this is not my child. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. I, I'm here to help, but I'm not doing it all yeah. for you. And I like that. You were talking before about how Imani, you know, doesn't fall into the trap of like sacrificing everything for your child, which is really a false trap, I think. I love how the book deals with that, with Awela, who does like, she she does, it's not necessarily a choice for her, but she does really end up sacrificing a lot of career, a lot of life, the opportunity of having a relationship after her husband dies. I mean, all of that in order to raise her own child and then her grandchild and then her great-grandchild. Mm-hmm. And I do really appreciate that when he she gets to her great-grandchild, she does say, like, no, 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 no. I did this. And then I did it again. Yeah. And now, like, she recognizes that part of her job in raising Imani is to raise Imani to be able to raise Emma. And that is really interesting it this book doesn't take its audience for you know Elizabeth Acevedo does not think that we're idiots Mm -hmm. and especially putting myself in you know like the shoes of a teenager this is this is a book that looks at the reader as an intellectual equal Mm -hmm. I really there's something appealing about that and not feeling infantilized or just falling into a romantic swoosh even though don't get me wrong there's I rom- love, love the romantic swooshing that happens in this book. But I think that there's something about just 
a strong, confident young woman of color who doesn't come from a fortunate background, but who isn't living in misery, who mm-hmm. does her best, who shows up mm-hmm. and who makes mistakes and is able to own them. I really see the, the part of the journey of this book being Amani kind of stepping up with parenting Emma and saying no this is my job no you know I'm done high school now and I and I so appreciate the help I had to make it through high school and now it's time for me to step up and do this I'm an adult now and that's just yeah that's a it's a I love that this book is not the sort of classic teen book about teen pregnancy that's following the pregnancy itself the birth itself we see Emani already established as a mom with her baby you know all her focus is on her baby but also on making it through school and um, we get to see the story of somebody who had a baby as a child coming of age because that's a story that's a real story that happens and that we don't see represented very often but there are so many people who have their children when they are still children and have to come of age while parenting um, and while learning to parent which I mean the first few years of parenting are learning to parent (laughs) for anybody no matter what your circumstances oh I'm sure yeah Um, but I, I really appreciated that choice that Emma is just part of her life it's not she's not the struggle in the narrative absolutely oh I love that that's very well said um shall we talk about Julio sure yeah I just want to glee some more about Imani's dad he he struck a chord with me because he's an organizer right he's someone who works in his community uh, for the community for the betterment of the community and at the same time, he's someone who can't face his own demons. And that just, as someone who has done community work for decades at this point, or should I say tens of years, I think that there's something really incredible about depicting that. Um, community organizers, community workers, people who work with people have a tendency to you know, be helping themselves a lot through the work that they're doing. And there's something, there's something powerful about seeing that represented. I haven't felt myself represented on the page. And Julio was the character in this book that I relate to the most. Mm -hmm. He just, I get it. When he leaves and he comes back a month during the year and is present with his family, but the rest of the time he is engrossed in this mission that is so much bigger than himself and you know for which his family needs to sacrifice uh you know presence and moments and and quality time and all that good stuff um but there's an understanding also and he still cares like he's very caring he he wants to speak to his daughter he wants to engage he wants to know his granddaughter and all that but he also has this huge baggage of you know the woman he loved more than anything sort of you know passing away during childbirth so yeah yeah, beautiful character yeah I I love I was thinking about that and about what you were saying about Tyrone earlier and I love that the two quote-unquote absentee dads in this book are so clearly not absentee oh yeah and I mean you see Julio calling all this hot time and saying like Amani needs to call me Amani needs to call me like and Amani is the one who's like ah I don't, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> she gets to be a teen. Yeah, yeah. 
right? Part of being a teenager is saying, like, I'm not my parent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You are absent with me. I'm not going to be absent with my own kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I think there's something endearing about Julio. And I feel like when I lend this out to my community work friends, a lot of them are going to be like, oh, this guy. Yeah, we know this guy. <laughs> or we are this guy. Right. I feel like I need to just take this moment briefly um, to say about Imani's mother dying in childbirth. Uh, the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate by far of developed countries in the world. And even in non-developed countries, it is still up there very high on the list for the world. Maternity mortality, maternal mortality is insanely high and it is disproportionately higher for women of color. Um, black I'm, women specifically. Yeah, black women specifically. I'm thinking of this because my best friend works in maternal mortality specifically in Colorado and so I get that a lot from her but I think sometimes people are like well nobody dies in childbirth anymore and that's simply not true and we are no better um people in from first nations here mm-hmm. don't get the best treatment uh in maternal care and a lot of shitty services tend to uh, dampen what is generally a pleasant or important moment anyways yeah yeah just unless lest anybody say well that's an unbelievable part of this book no not at all do 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 your homework look it up yep okay should we talk about food yes let's talk about food okay holy cow as someone who loves to cook right food is at the center of pretty much everything in my life this book gets it right that zone of cooking, that moment where you're having a real bad day and you're just like, I need to cook this out. And I am looking at a bunch of things and I don't know that this is going to work. Um, and those are generally the moments where it does work. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was spectacular. The creativity, but then on the other side also, Imani takes a culinary arts class and she has to learn how to conform and how to uh, follow a recipe, which is uh, something that's hard for people who are a bit more, um, I don't know, culinarily intuitive. Would that be the term? I think especially when you come from an intuitive food culture. I know certainly for me, like I I come from um, Italian and Middle Eastern and southern french like farm people Uh and you just you know when you asked my my meme or my pepe like how do you cook something it was well you take your eggs and you take your flour and you and you take your onions and there's no quantities given Uh, so yeah i mean when you have learned how to cook intuitively learning how to cook by a recipe is so disorienting absolutely and there's a an incredible respect that's given to um to food and to the ingredients and to the preparation and you know like even in describing her like tie her hair up before cooking or just the effort in like taking care of her knives and just there's it's precise and for people who love food and food culture and who love to just get their hands doughy and dirty you that, find your you find what you're looking yeah. for in this. Yeah. I love the scene where she is having a rough day and then Abuela's out for the evening and baby girl is with her dad and she makes a lasagna and she makes a salad and she plates it all up with a glass of wine mm-hmm. and she just sits and has a meal with herself. Oh, solo date nights 
can you imagine if you had the uh, just the intestinal fortitude to do that at such a young age what would be your go-to solo date night meal so this is actually a thing I do this is like I haven't in a long time because now I have two children but um really I, I also cook a lot and my meal is I do a chicken breast and mm. I do it with take two parts so one part like old-fashioned mustard grainy mustard and one part um jalapeno pepper jelly and you mix them together and then you brush that on the chicken and then you cook the chicken you like let it marinate if you have the time and then just sometimes I braise it sometimes I just like pan cook it um you can poach it with its own juice there's a way to do that that's Mm -hmm. like pretty quick and good do that and then just a big pile of either green beans or asparagus sauteed and then I finish it off with like a really good vanilla ice cream um with pecans and maple syrup on top yes that's Teffer. my that's my solo date night yes teffer i like it and Love white it. wine because i like white wine very important what's yours my solo date night uh is also a common thing in my home uh, as my partner is generally away um but white wine absolutely um dozen oysters mm. uh, on the half shell raw with nothing actually more and more um and then oftentimes either a nice piece of fish grilled ideally and rice because um, african roots you can't get away from it um (laughs) and then any whatever vegetable is in season um as soon as tomato season comes around basically my solo date night would be just tomato and like whatever cheese I can get my hands on, olive oil and bread, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm, olives. Mm-hmm. I love a caprese salad. Ooh. Like if you make it with, I am growing a caprese garden this summer. Oh, I'm doing I just to tomatoes see. and basil, <laughs> and uh, with with a nice fresh mozzarella, and then like a. I've been making sourdough this yes, year. Yes, I, I saw have like a healthy sourdough starter. Actually, it probably is a very hungry sourdough starter right now. Um, and lately I've been making that salad. I do like a chopped one instead of a layered one sometimes because it's easier to put in a big bowl. Yep. Um, but then I throw in hunks of sourdough too. And so it soaks up the tomato. Panzanella style. Yeah, panzanella is one of my favorite things. For a long time I was gluten intolerant. And so I'm kind of getting used to eating bread again. It's so good. I'm just not used to eating it anymore. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. But yeah, it's so yummy. So good. So Oh my god, we could talk about food for days. We could we could just keep talking about food, yeah. I mean, I'm like, and then I have this other meal, and then I and I have this other one. Same. That, yeah. Same, same, same. Yeah. And then this wine, and then that wine, and then, yeah. yeah. Although really, when it comes down to it, I am more of a baker. Like, I love to cook, but baking is my, is my true passion and inspiration. Oh, we are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Perhaps we have to have dinner together. So, <laughs> so yes. So both of us really appreciated this book from the food perspective. Um, Let's be honest. I think yeah. we, we just appreciated the book. Period. Oh, there's, period. There's, yeah. I have no nope no notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you ever have a time when you considered food as a career? Absolutely. When I finished high school, I uh, wanted to become a butcher and go do a technical program. And my parents, who are both very highly educated people, um, <clears throat> their answer was. We did not move here from Africa for you to become a butcher. (laughs) Well, surprise. Now you have a sexologist, which is not one of the four immigrant family approved careers. So Not yet. Not yet. That's a good point. There is time still. Um, Maybe the next generation. 
Oh, no, I mean, our children are going to be like, I think I want to go into finance. And we'll be like, you know, sexology is a perfectly good option. Like, the world sure really needs them. Yes. You sure you don't want to do like an undergrad in philosophy just to get your head wrapped around something? My parents did that to me and I have a degree in English literature. <laughs> um, I had a similar story. I wanted to go to culinary arts school. And my, my father, who is the first in his family to go to university, I think the first in his family to go to high school also and had a PhD, hmm. basically was just like, um, his family were restauranters and bakers, like okay. back were like farmers and then bakers and then restauranters. And he had worked, you know, as a waiter for a very long time as like a Parisian, like one of the fancy waiters mm -hmm. in the 60s. Um, and he essentially was just like, cooking is awful. Working in the restaurant business is awful. Don't you want to have a family? Like, <laughs> yes, that, no. those words often came up when I also talked about going to culinary school at some point. They were like, at some point I wanted to go to sommelier school. I wanted to become a wine person. And uh, my parents were like, you will never spend a holiday with us ever again if you do that. And I was like, well, but I love you. Yes. And they were like, no, you will be stuck working. And I was like, oh, yeah. Right. I like Christmas. Um, so, nope. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this a lot going through this book because there was like, in high school, I wanted to go to culinary arts school and my parents were basically like, no. And then... Uh, after I had my first kid for a while I was working in a kitchen and like seriously considering doing it again and then kind of just life the universe said no and every now and then I'm like maybe hmm. maybe some point maybe like once my kids are bigger maybe some point I feel like I could probably pull off a lifestyle Gwyneth Paltrow blog well like Smitten Kitchen oh like Smitten she's she's kitchen. like a household name now I started reading her when she was really just like a, a regular gal blog. in new york city in her kitchen right like, <laughs> yeah i think there's something interesting there but the issue now that i'm finding on the internet is that everyone and their mother is like a food expert which is in infuriating to a certain degree i mean some people know what they're doing and some people don't and i think that when people who don't like I mean, when they subscribe to the Sheldon Cooper kind of diet of like spaghetti with little hot dogs cut in it and try to present that as, you know, fine dining. Um, I'm looking at you, BuzzFeed, with mm -hmm. your weird foods. I mean, for it to be good, I think a lot about this because I do like write stuff, like writing content is the thing I do. And, and the thing is, you have to have an angle. And there are so many people creating content who don't know what their angle is. They're going like, okay, a food blog. Okay, I just write about what food I make. It's like, you need to decide what your story is before you can start. And that's why I mean, why I think Smitten Kitchen is so successful, because her angle was, I have a tiny kitchen and I love food. So what can I make in my tiny kitchen? And an empire was begun. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So this book by Elizabeth Acevedo, which we are reviewing. <laughs> With the fire on high. Get it. Read it. The audiobook is apparently awesome. It's good. It's narrated by the author, which I think is a wonderful choice. I think when authors have the voice for it, it's a, it's a fantastic choice. I really appreciated how everyone was encouraging and empowering Imani to pursue cooking. 
and really the voice that was holding her up was her own yes and I really appreciated how by the end of the book she was calling herself on that and I I especially appreciate it because it is exactly how I operate I tend to be like well I couldn't possibly and then I always have to sit myself down and be like says who (laughs) who is saying this right now and it's usually a mean teffer in the back of my head Um, So I loved seeing that represented. Yes, I completely agree. I think the amount of, especially in a context of a low-income family uh, living in a, shall we say, I don't like the word, vulnerable sector of Philly, it's really nice to see that it's not like super violent home or blah, blah, blah. Like it just, it's a supportive environment. There are... You know, people are willing to try and help to the best of their ability. And, you know, that's, it's interesting. It's new. It's, it's satisfying also, Mm -hmm. right? I think having, having worked with a lot of families that, you know, are like the family in the book, it's nice to see them represented because we have this image that like, oh, you're from the hood. It's going to be dreadful. No, actually, like you're from the hood, but you're still like, you know watching Ellen like everyone else and uh you know you're still doing whatever it is that you can do in order to make yourself better in order to get what you want in order to find that passion find that love and follow it and Mm -hmm. yeah that was really fun Mm -hmm. I loved also that she found compromise at the end that she was kind Mm -hmm. of going back and forth between like do I want to just go straight from school high school to working or do I want to go to school school has always been challenging for me the school system fails her on so many levels so much so many levels and I really appreciated that being present and not shied away from but also not a major conflict just being like yep this is how the school system works and she navigates it that's it I think that that's super important and throughout the entire story it's it's nice that we have a representation of someone who is average Mm -hmm. she's not Uh, you know she's not the A student Uh, she's struggling Mm -hmm. and she you know is supposed to want to go to college and supposed to want all sorts of things and you know she realizes that that's not necessarily her path and and it is really cool that you know we get to see a different sort of type of ending Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like I'm going off to an Ivy League college with a uh, all expenses scholarship yeah I love that she just like she has bad grades and she wasn't sure she was going to get into a school and she got into a school and you know that was great and exciting like um, I love that it's really kind of hinted at that she has learning difficulties that she has a a brain that works better with hands-on learning rather than book learning and that her teachers have just decided not to see that and just to see her as a black teen mom and not like do anything to help her um one thing I wanted to ask you because this just like appalled me so much they take away her cell phone for 24 hours for having it out in the hall is this like a thing that happens I mean I'm sure Philly is different from Montreal but like you work with teens it depends on the school yeah Uh, some schools have very tight policies on this thing uh yeah it's very much of this like while you are here technology doesn't exist and we're going to teach you as if this were 1937 um although the political climate is pretty close to 1937 but anyways uh like "Hmm, interesting um but no uh some spaces yeah they'll they'll do that and some of them have the accord of 
of parents also. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of folks who believe that we shouldn't necessarily update the way that we teach kids, even though the world does not work the same way. Well, it made me so angry. So I guess, I mean, I went to high school really when cell phones had just started being a thing. And it was a time when most kids had cell phones, but you couldn't really access the internet on your phone that much. Like, um, And the policy was you could get your phone taken away for a class period and the teacher would hold on to it. But like not letting kids use their phones in the halls, not letting them use them on their lunch break and the irresponsibility of taking away a student's phone for a full 24 hours is just appalling to me. Especially when that student is a parent well, of a young child. But even away from that and apart from that, like my parents had a cell phone for me so that they could keep track of me because I was doing an hour and a half long commute by metro across the city and they wanted to be able to make sure I was okay and if somebody had just and that was like the case of a lot of the students in my high school and if somebody had just like confiscated our phones for 24 hours like my parents would think I was dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so that's appalling and I hate it yeah it sucks yeah it sucks but school's yeah. Look, schools fail kids, unfortunately, uh, and I think that that's everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think some kids slip through the cracks. I think the more overwhelmed the school is or school system is with lack of money, lack yeah. of space, mold in the ceilings or whatever, I mean, the less uh, the less attention you can put on kids. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. And um, teachers are you know beautiful people but they're yeah. people yeah, yeah and yeah. they're tired and yeah. we need to pay them and love them and you know yep encourage them yep i have many political opinions today it's great <laughs> i don't want to talk about malachi i think uh, yeah that's fine yeah. a lot of other other things in this book yeah the opportunity to get to travel Mm-hmm. I find really lovely. I loved that she got that opportunity. I was so sure she was not going to have that opportunity. Same. And I was so, so, so glad that she got it. Yeah. I think travel for 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 youth is so great. And I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate and come from, from a very privileged uh, background. Uh, but there's something magnificent in that eye-opening moment yeah. uh, that you get when you see something, hear something, smell something, taste something, whatever, that just makes you realize that the world is so much bigger than you yeah. think and that you have a place in all of this, not just your own little neighborhood, right? Like, it just extends so much further. Mm-hmm. It's 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 trans it's a transformative experience and it is for Imani and I think that that's important yeah yeah I was uh I, I grew up in a lower income family and uh was given the opportunity to travel internationally in my last year of high school through the generosity of people I knew and uh it was really life-changing and um also, just like it was at an age when I'd kind of been noticing that my family was lower income because I was sort of blissfully unaware of that for a long time. And it it, it gave me that sense of kind of like, OK, I can have the opportunities other kids have. And that was really encouraging um, and humanizing. You know, it makes you feel like you're part of the world. Yes. Uh, instead of just 
kind of left behind, which is a way you can feel a lot when you're <laughs> when you're less financially privileged. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's some significance. So Imani gets to travel through her her cooking class. Uh, they go to Spain. And there's something really lovely about this young, like half Latinx young lady who is, you know, half Puerto Rican and who's going to Spain. It's like visiting the colonizer, right? And the experience and kind of seeing, making, being able to draw parallels between Spanish cooking and Puerto Rican cooking and the flavors and who inspired who and asking those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Saying like, you wouldn't have this without my tiny island um, and all of its spices and, you know, enslaved people and stuff like that. Um, So let's let's recognize that. And I find that I find that really sharp. I love the moment when she's in the cathedral that has the tomb of Christopher Columbus. (laughs) Which I really wonder if that is like the whole reason they went to Sevijo to have that like that moment right probably yeah and uh and she's looking around at this cathedral that is covered in gold and her thought is just all this gold is stolen from where i'm from yep and that's just like and then furthermore i love that she does not bring that up with her father because she just doesn't want to she's like it's too late to hear a julio rant like (laughs) no 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 he can't handle that he can't and I love that Julio goes into like political tirades all the time. Every time she brings something up, it's like it turns into a lesson. Yes. Or very much reminds me of my father. It's like, oh, I did this thing. Like, did my you know? My father also, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that it's really nice to see that they, I mean, the school that she goes to, if I'm not mistaken, is a charter school. So it's lower income kids who get admitted into this school through a lottery. It's very much of a clear, like, we're trying to give a leg up to some underprivileged folks and to see them be able to get away, be yeah. abroad. These are people that, like, this is a group of folks that we want to see travel yeah. the world. They have so, like, they, we, <laughs> I'm poor too, um, have so much to share and yeah. do and all that. So I think I think it was a nice opportunity. It's a nice eye-opening experience also. And it's digestible enough. It's like one week. Yeah. It's short. It's not like I'm on a three-month backpacking yeah. thing. Which she couldn't have done because yeah. she has a child. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she can handle a week. Yes. Um, and I love that it then gives her, I feel that little taste, gives her the ability to let em, uh, Emma go with her dad for a week so she can go finally meet her aunt who she's been emailing with for years. Yes. Um, she that relationship feels like is she can lovely. Do it. Yeah. It's really sweet. This aunt, her mother's sister, that they correspond. It's all email. and But there's so much care. And there's very much of this desire to transmit um, heritage, yeah, right. Even through messages and yeah. and being afraid to meet people, but not being afraid to to share a little bit and the progressive opening up a bit more and more vulnerability in their conversations. I really mm-hmm. and having that connection to her mother, who she has pretty much no other connections with, because yeah. her father is too wounded to really talk about her, and uh, it seems like Abuela just didn't know her very well because yeah. she wasn't around very long. Yeah, also ants are important people Mm -hmm. uh, that we very much love. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I need a sash that says auntie. Um, It is so much fun to be an ant. Um, But it's also nice because you get to teach kids bad words and 
then send them home and be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I am still an aunt, but I really enjoyed the time when I was an auntie before I had my own kids. Mm-hmm. Now I enjoy being an auntie and seeing my kids. Like <laughs> all the cousins, we have so many children now. There are so many children. I know you understand. Oh yes. Um, and they're so loud, but they're so much fun. That's the best part. Yeah. Well, I love I love this book. Mm-hmm. There, I said mm-hmm. it. I love it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I can find any flaws, honestly. No, this book was on many, many lists and mm. lots of like books to check out for this spring summer. Um, I recommend it for a nice poolside. Yeah, I mean, I really reading. think it's perfect. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. I'm feeling so lucky right now because I felt this way also about Love from A to Z. I've just had like two episodes in a row of like books that I'm just like, wow, now this was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this was, it was really great. Who would you, uh, I was asked uh, to make sure to, you know, throw out names of people who can get it. So um, I would like to know, who would you like to see in the film adaptation of With the Fire on High? Oh, not just who can get it? Because Julio can get it. I mean, Julio can totally get it. Uh, (laughs) I pictured Julio as Lin-Manuel Miranda, who can always and forever get it that's true that's funny i i definitely pictured because he has locks and i can't picture lin-manuel miranda with locks but i guess you can change that too for yeah i like that i can see that yeah lin-manuel oh my god can we talk about his his voice alone can get it sometimes when i'm feeling sad i just listen to the hamilton soundtrack yes and i just get I, I just, I just, I was watching Moana and at one point Lin-Manuel Miranda sings in Moana and yes. I was like, I shouldn't feel these feelings watching this movie. I love him so much. I love him so much. I'm going to shed a little tear here. Oh my God. Um, okay. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, no, I think before the description came with the locks and all that, right, like right. to me in my mind, I was picturing Lin- Lin-Manuel also because he's a very proud Puerto Rican yeah, person yeah, yeah, and yeah. like very, very good ambassador yeah. uh, for 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 the culture. Yeah. And um, I can see him being that character like a hundred percent. Also, Jimmy Smith's of former NYPD Blue fame, but also uh, plays in Brooklyn Nine-Nine as Rosa's, Rosa's dad? No. No, that's Danny Trejo. Yeah, Jimmy um, Smits. Jimmy Smits. He's on West Amy Wing. And he's dead. also on How to Get Away with Murder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Smits is one of those names that Tom keeps bringing up, my partner. And then I'm like, who's Jimmy Smits? And he just gives me this look of just like, I can't believe I'm dating you. Yeah. yeah. But like, Jimmy Smits, when he was in, uh, what was that? Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where he, like, I don't know, runs massage parlors or whatever. He's a very nice manager of sex workers. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and he is, like, buff, but also has, like, a very strong moral compass. Yeah. And that's real sexy. So, Jimmy yeah, Smits, yeah. on the list, you can get it, too. On the Smits for Julio, though? On the Smits. On the Smits. On the list. No, Jimmy Smits for Julio also. I need to go to sleep. Um, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know any youth actors. Eh, I mean, the first one that came to mind was like, I was like, Zendaya could play this, uh, could yeah. play Imani or like Amandless. Uh, Amandless Stenberg came to Thank mind for you. sure. Thank you. I can't pronounce her last name. But it could be a really lovely opportunity to get to meet some new young thirst traps yeah i feel like for the for the teenage movie is like you should have new actors for the like main characters and then all the secondary characters can be the famous people yep agreed Mm -hmm. i'm annoyed because i feel like i have a face in my mind for abuela but like i can't like figure out who it is Hmm. 
<laughs> you're making a face of concentration. <sighs> yeah, no, I just, I don't have the names. I'm terrible with mm. the names of famous people. I'm very, very, very bad with them. I feel like basically, let's let's be very honest here. I feel like you could take the cast of Jane the Virgin, add a black person, like yeah. an Afro-Latino person or four, which we're, you know, maybe missing. And yeah, you'd have the cast. You'd have like basically Imani family. Oh, you know who would, who... Well, maybe, no, maybe this doesn't, hmm. I feel like Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. Would be great as Imani's best friend, who we didn't talk about at all. Joey. But I feel like, because I just saw her in a movie where she's like a much less tight-laced character. She's much less of a Virgo and is (laughs) much more chaotic. Um little Aries all up in here yeah (laughs) and and I was like like I kept picturing her even though I think this character was was written as a black woman I still kept picturing Gina Rodriguez (laughs) (laughs) and although she is problematic I will say that Gina Rodriguez Ah, she can still get it. She's real sweet. Like I just want to hang out with her. I didn't know she was problematic. Yeah, she I made feel sad. she made some comments at some point. It it doesn't matter. I okay. think she's okay. I think sometimes people get too passionate yeah. and stumble on some content. I still can't hate her. That's yeah. No, she's very much my type. Mm-hmm. Same. So like yeah. Same. Um, Caddy, I have to ask you frankly. Did you bring up this segment just so you could talk about Lin Manuel? Yeah, totally. Cool. No judgment. No judgment from me. Oh, I love him so much. It's really sad. His Twitter feed gives me joy. Yesterday, I was having a a conversation with a friend about like men who could say the worst shit and could still get it. Um, And I I can't believe Lin-Manuel didn't come up actually in that list. He would um, be right at the top of that list for me. My, my main man for that is Jadena, who could literally punch me in the face. Holy And crap. I would still lay my life down for him. Oh, my ovaries <laughs> just did a little backflip uh, at the mention of Jadena. Um, so ultimate goals would be uh, to be the piece of turkey between Jadena and Chadwick Boseman sandwich. I can get behind this. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. Jadena, I think, is the celebrity who, if I ever, like, saw him in real life, I would lose the ability to speak and maybe start crying. Yep. Yeah. Fair. Ooh, uh, Michael B. Jordan. We can make it a club sandwich. I'm into it. Caddy, <laughs> <laughs> I love these moments we share. Anytime. All right, so that was With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. It's a wonderful book. Definitely um, look it up, read it, share it, make the recipes in it. That's one of my goals. Yes, absolutely. Latin Mm -hmm. cooking for Mm -hmm. the win. Mm -hmm. Tostones, por favor. All right, thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book uh, for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast and individually I'm at Tefferbear. I'm at Caddy double underscore D. If you want, if you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons. Catherine McGuire, Catherine Resch, Chantal Thomas, Erica Stitchberry, and Lizzie Tenhove. We have merch. 
hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. We just ordered a bunch for the winner of our raffle at Yafest, and we're uh, excited to share some photos with you on our Instagram when that shows up eventually because it's international shipping and it takes three years. (laughs) You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend who loves to cook. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefra Jenian, edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about it, about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I can't believe I messed that up. On September 16, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, a much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to have someone pay him $264 to watch through every episode of Frasier with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatni, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again, right here on the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're the host of The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. It's a podcast where we're going to talk about, well, sports. Specifically, what we do look at is what makes an athlete be the best that they can be. So not only do we talk to some athletes, but we talk to the people behind the athletes, from trainers to sports psychologists, you name it, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about other issues revolving sports as well, hot button issues like concussions, maybe doping. Give us a listen. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.